Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we can have around your word. We are just awed and amazed, Lord, how week after week and devotion time after devotion time and reading after readings, Father, you have a way of using your word to dissect the needs of our heart and, Father, to meet those needs and to address those needs. Father, we pray this morning that you would do the same. That, Father, you would teach us what it is to walk with you. And, Father, especially for these dear mothers who we honor today. They carry such heavy responsibilities. They carry such a heavy load and burden. And yet, Father, as you walk with them, Father, they can see your wondrous grace and mercies. Thank you, dear Lord, for our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't think it has to be any big mystery to you that motherhood carries many, many duties and responsibilities. And it seems like with each generation, it seems to not decrease, but increase, despite all the gadgets and gizmos that, you know, people design. There still comes down to loving and and caring and nurturing uh, the, the family. And so mothers carry a heavy responsibility. Uh, the mother's portfolio sometimes includes such things as environmental engineering, sometimes financial wizardry, sometimes around the clock befriending and counseling. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, one of the greatest duties that is shared uh, with her husband is the general welfare and well-being of the family. But what happens if there's no husband? perhaps through death, perhaps through illness, perhaps through any number of circumstances. What is a mother to do? Who can, who can help? Who can a mother turn to when times are desperate? That's what we're going to learn about this morning. And so to do this, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And this provides for us an abundance of encouragement and hope. It shows us the depth, length, and breadth of God's mercy and grace to those who faithfully follow him. This is the record of God's prophet Elisha and his encounter with the widow. Many of us are oftentimes appointed to and we are led to the life of Elijah. And Elisha sort of sometimes gets buried over, sort of like the middle child. He's sort of forgotten. But Elisha did some very wondrous things, and so we're going to see how God uses him. And what happens is in these short seven verses, there's a three-part story. There's a three-part story, a three-act story. And our and the story begins with our mother's story begins with desperation. A crisis arrives at the doorstep of this mother's family. Look at verse 1. And it says in... Second Kings chapter four verse three. Now a certain woman of the wives of those of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, "Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my children to be his slaves." She was the wife of one of the faithful prophets of God during a very difficult time in the nation of Israel. How difficult were they? Well, they were difficult in this way. They were very difficult for anyone who followed after God. As a nation, Israel spurned the Lord, and they continued, and they chased after the worship of idols and false gods. 
Those who followed the Lord were hunted down. They were persecuted. They were uh, killed and other things as well. And so these were very hard, hard times spiritually for anybody who followed the Lord. But her situation was even more critical. The times that she was in, as we read from verse 1, her husband is dead. She is a widow. Now, you might say to yourself, well, yes, I know some widows, but how bad could it be for them? Very bad. They didn't have the, the support systems that we have today and through the government and uh, social welfare programs and things like that. So she was pretty much on her own. And being the widow of a prophet just made things even worse. Now, what also made it bad was that the creditors were at the door demanding payment for debts. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what's so bad about that? All right. And here in Singapore, we, we know the reputation of loan sharks and we know what they can do. And we say, well, that, that might be pretty bad. But think about this. This is even 10 times worse than that. Because according to Hebrew law, a creditor had the right to take the children of the fam- away from the family and to have them work as slaves until the debt was paid. This was found in the Exodus and in, uh, uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so these passages were all there. So the creditor was in his right to come and take away her sons to have them work off the debt that the family had, in, had it incurred. So all alone, this widow faced two of life's most horrific experiences. What are those? Uh, death and debts. Those are two horrific experiences. If you've never lived under those, if you've never had that situation, you know that it can just be horrific. And that's how bad the times were for her. So in this time of desperation, she turns to who? She turns to Elisha in verse 1. Well, who is Elisha? Is he a banker? Is he a millionaire? Did he just win the Israeli lottery? You know, who is he? You know, what is it that he had that she could go to him? Well, Elisha was the prophet, so to speak, on duty. He took Elijah's place. And so he was mentored by Elijah. And so, like Elijah, he performed many miracles. But there's a difference in Elisha because more of his miracles were uh, had to do with individuals and had to do with people. They were revelations of God's grace and mercy. And so while Elijah, his ministry was basically national, so to speak, and he was, you know, dealing with the leaderships of the country and so on and so forth, Elijah had a more personal ministry. And, uh, and so that's what's made him stand out. Now, Elisha also reminds us again of the, uh, of, reminds us of Christ. Uh, our Savior. It was in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that says that Jesus went about doing good, it says in Acts 10, 38. And so when you think of these acts of goodness, acts of kindness that Jesus did, some of them were miracles, yes, but none of them can really compare with the greatest miracle of all that Jesus was able to, that God uh, performed through uh, Jesus. And that greatest miracle is the one of having forgiveness of sin uh, um, uh, before God. And this was made possible by putting our faith in Christ. 
In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, it says, When you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Can you get any clearer than that? That was a tremendous miracle. One that only God could effect, and he did it through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. So, she turns to Elijah. Elijah is God's main representative at this time. And she knows he has a track record of helping people. And so she turns to him for help. Well, Elijah apparently also knew her husband, she says. She says, you know that he feared God, that he reverenced God. And he also knew that uh, knew him, and he knew that he feared and was faithful to God. Now, I still want to stop here for just a minute, because I always find it interesting whenever I read places in the Bible where God uses individuals, all right? Sometimes we always think, well, God's going to use, uh, uh, you know, some, some fantastic, you know, earthquake or something like that to do God's work. But oftentimes, God does his greatest work through individuals. And this is what happens when we complete the rest of the story. We want to ask ourselves, perhaps today we can be an Elisha to someone in need. You might say to yourself, me? I don't have much. I'm not a chief representative of God. No, but you are a representative of God. And it may very well be that God has put you where you are at. God has very well given you all that you have. Why? Because he wants you to be a channel of grace and mercy for him. There are always needs, more needs uh, than people to meet them. No one individual can possibly meet all the needs of all people, but one person can meet some needs of some people. And that's somehow a fact that somehow escapes us, especially from those who are most blessed. Isn't that true? Singapore has been blessed. You have been blessed. Why have you been blessed? (laughs) So that you might be an Elisha to somebody in need. And so God can use us to be channels of his grace and his mercies. Some total of it all, this mother was drowning in a sea of desperation. Now, I can see it in the faces of many of us here. We've never had this experience. Our backs have never been to the wall where we would say, I'm desperate, I'm desperate. But yet, there are also many people around us, many people inside and outside the church today that are very desperate. They're looking for their Elijah. Elisha, can you be an Elisha to someone today? And so as we move forward, the, the, while the story begins with desperation, the, move, the, the story now moves to God's provision in verses 2 through 6. God's provisions comes in the form of a miracle. comes in the form of a miracle. What are miracles? It's God acting outside the norm, so to speak, okay? And while some people might believe that every day's a miracle, I got up today, it's a miracle, <laughs> I'm here today, it's a miracle, you know? We're talking miracles in a much broader and much more powerful way. The plan for provi- There was a plan in play here, 
And the plan for provisions involves what the widow already had. Look at verses 2 through 4. And it says, Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels to get not and do not get a few, he says in those verses. Now, as you begin to march down this, first of all, he starts off and he says, what is it that you already have? She didn't have much. She had a jar of oil. Well, what's the significance of that? The jars of oil were used as fuel for lighting and things like that. They were used for medicine, things like that. They were also used to help prepare food. But guess what? She had no food, but she had the fuel. <laughs> and so she said, all I have is this, you see. And while the word translate jar of oil, in some translations, they use the word flask. It's just a real tiny container of oil. She was, at the, she was down toward the bottom of the, of the pile, so to speak. So it wasn't much. Then in verse 3, God tell, uh, Elisha tells her to go borrow vessels from all your neighbors. He says, and while you're doing it, do not get just a few of them, but get more. Oh, Elisha is getting ready to do something very big. And then he says in verse 4, what does he say there? He says, and you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. He goes in there and he says that you are going to shut the door. Nobody's going to see what you are doing. This was going to be a private uh, um, event. Now, as you think about this for a minute, not all miracles are meant for public consumption. They're not. Okay? When Jesus healed some people in the New Testament, he said, don't tell anybody. Now, that sounds crazy. Why wouldn't somebody who's just been healed or something tell everybody about what's going on? But it wasn't the right time. And so Elisha tells her and says to her, shut the door. It's just you and your sons and do go about what I'm telling you to do. But they would all know in, appropriate, in, an, in an appropriate time. So the plan involved what the widow already had and more. And then the plan for provisions involves trusting and obeying God. Look at verses 5 and 6. In 5, so she went out from the hem and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Boy, wasn't that amazing? So she went and did exactly what Elisha had told her to do. There was obedience here. And then when no more containers were empty to to pour the oil, then it stopped. There was just enough. There was just enough. Now, I suppose you could sit there and imagine what would it be like if she had gotten more containers. Maybe she had gotten, you know, twice the number of months. It would have just kept going. But the oil would have stopped when all the empty containers were done. And then... As you think about this, what can we learn? Well, maybe one thing is that little is much when God is in it. I read that someplace. I'm not sure exactly who said it. 
Little is much when God is in it. And I've been greatly encouraged by that over the years. I suppose you have too when you have heard this about little is much when God is in it. But I like to play with these things. And so I came up with this one. Little is enough when God is in it. Little is enough when God is in it. You see, sometimes we get caught up in all this hoopla about miracles and things like that. And we're looking for the big payoff and we're looking for this and we're looking for that. But you notice here that the oil stopped at just the right time. It was enough. It was enough. The mother experienced God's timely provision in a true miracle. Well, let's rush off to the third act then of the story. Our mother's story ends with God's salvation. Verse 7, God's plan comes to a great conclusion. Elijah tells her to sell the oil and to live off the rest. Look at verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. I have no idea how old her children were. I have no idea. They could have been primary one. They could have been, you know, all the way up to junior college. I have no idea. But there could have been a long time that she still had to support her family. But guess what? God said, sell the oil, pay the debt, and you can live off the rest. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so what happened here was that as all of these things are recorded, we find that God was faithful to the one who would trust him. God met her needs and a whole lot more. Now, usually when this kind of message comes up, people are sitting there and thinking. And they said, you know, I've been thinking about buying this new car. I know the COE is a little high, but I've been thinking about it. But I can get a bank loan. And besides, if I go bad on the debt, God will, be, God will deliver me from it. I don't think that's what God had in mind here. All right. God doesn't always cover our debts this way by a miracle, but he will meet our needs if we will trust and obey. You see, I need to throw that in there because I want to prevent all of you from showing up next week in the parking lot with all new cars. Okay, (laughs) this is not what it's teaching. We are not teaching anything near prosperity theology or anything like that. All we know is that God met her needs. And so that's how he did it. And so God saved his mother and this family out of her troubles because of her faith and trust in him. Now, there's a lot to be learned right there, right? We could just all go home. We can just, you know, pat ourselves on the shoulder. Yeah, we we endured another one of pastor's messages. And we can all go home now and eat, all right? But, but there's some life lessons here that that we should not ignore. The first one is, in times of crisis, the faithful go to God for their needs. This was verse 1. We won't read it again, but that's what it is. She went to, to God through Elisha. It may seem quite too obvious, but oftentimes in crisis, God is the last one we seek instead of the first. Isn't that true? Sometimes we seek others before we seek God. But this mother was desperate. She was in need, and she went right to the very source of help. We try to find our own way out of things. Not always wrong. It might even be part of God's plan. But go to God. 
Why should we go to God? Why should any mother out in this audience today, anyone who's going through any kind of trouble in their life, why should they even bother to consider going to God? Why not go to a counselor? Why not go to this? Why not go to that? You know, why not? And and so on and so forth. Why should we go to God? Number one, because of who God is. Because of who God is. Psalms 18, verses 1 to 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies, it says. Because of who God is. Psalms 91, 1 to 4. He who dwells on the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings. You may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Oftentimes... The reason people don't go to God first is because they have no appreciation for who God is. There was a book that was written in my generation when I was growing. It was called, Is Your God Too Small? Is Your God Too Small? And oftentimes, I think that mentality sets in in believers. And that's why we don't go to God. We go to other people. We go to other avenues. But when you're in desperate times, when you're in crisis, go to God because of who he is. Also, we should go to God because of what he can do and he alone. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9. We read this last week, but it bears remembering. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God already is ahead of the game. He already thinks of ways that we can't think of. You talk about thinking out of the box. God thinks out of the universe. You see? And yet, what do we do? We put God in this little, little box. And we say, well, God could do this. Well, God could do that. Um, That's the only thing he can do. Uh Uh-uh. God thinks out of the universe. He does not think just out of the box. Luke chapter 18, verse 27. But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God, he says. Again, how big is our God? Is our God limited to what he can do? Absolutely not. Whatever is impossible with men, it is possible with God. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. The minute we think that we figured God out, the minute that we think that we figured all the options that God can take, God comes in with a different one. God comes in with a different one. Let me give you an example. And, uh, okay, most of you know, probably all of you know, I have seven children, okay? And, no, it wasn't an accident. It was intentional, okay? At least on God's part. And so we have seven children. All seven children have gone through university, and some have gone beyond. Now, I don't say that to pat myself on the back. 
But all I can say to you, how did that happen? You see? And so when our children, we, we, when they were young, we said we just assumed they would go to university. All right? We had no clue how we were going to pay for it. All right? So what does God do? God brings in all these kind of scholarships. I didn't know my kids were that smart. But they got all these scholarships. And then they, they applied for work study. They worked on campus to, you know, make ends meet. And then here and there, they won different grants and things like that. Again, I didn't know my kids were that smart. But I think people took pity on us and they said, let's help this family. And so we got these grants. All of our kids got through university. All of our kids got through these things. Now, if we were to think only in the box, if we thought that only God was limited to this, that, and the other, we would have been slowly disappointed. If we said that, well, God's going to make, you know, give dad, uh, you know, a better paying job, or dad's, you know, he's going to make mom go to work, or he's going to do this, and go, you know, all of these kind of options and, and, and things like that. God says, I fool you. I'm going to give you something else. And boy, did he. And we look back on this, and it's an indescribable example. In times of desperation, go to God because of who he is and because of what he can do. Another life lesson. In times of crisis, the faithful trust and obey. We saw this in uh, verses 2 to 6. He followed God's instructions to the letter. Now, before you go off and say, well, of course, well, of course. Here's some things to know. Notice the strange instructions. Collect pots. That sounds awful strange. Pour the oil from my single tiny jar into the large empty ones. <laughs> you know, you would say, you know, on what on earth? These are really strange instructions. And then notice the large number of empty containers. God was w- willing to go do something really big. Wouldn't it have been terrible if she only got a couple of containers? She would have missed out on so much, you see? And so what happens here is that she she continued to obey. She continued to trust. No matter how strange the the instructions, no matter how uh, ridiculous it seemed to, to go and get empty containers. And then the last one, notice the suspense around the plan. Elisha didn't tell the widow what he was going to do with the oil she collected. He didn't come in front of her and say to her, I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to make something out of nothing. You know, that would have been a little bit of an encouragement, don't you think? I know if I was in that shoe, I would have appreciated that. But God didn't tell her that. All he says, go get pots. And all he said to her was make sure there's a big number of pots. That's all he gave her. What can we learn? Often God doesn't reveal the whole plan to us. He doesn't. He doesn't reveal the whole plan to us. And sometimes in our moments of desperation, we want God to tell us exactly what he's going to do. But God only tells us what we need to know. And our part is to trust and obey along the way. And so this is what happens here. I spoke oftentimes that you know, whether it's a personal issue or it's a collective issue as a church and things like that, we have to learn this lesson to trust and obey. When God gives the marching orders, we obey. When God says to do it this way, we do it that way, whether it makes sense or not to us, okay? 
But what happens is that God does his thing. God doesn't always tell us every little detail up front when he meets our needs. He just does it. He just does it. In times of crisis, it is time to trust and obey. To believe and behave in such a way that God is trusted. Are you trusting today? <laughs> well, yeah, sort of, but you know, I'm hedging my bets. I got my little backup plans. I got plan B, and some of you are sitting out there and you said, plan B, nothing. I got C, D, and E, and F already planned out. Well, praise the Lord. But... We need to trust and obey. In times of crisis, the faithful see and receive God's salvation. That's the third lesson. They receive and see and receive God's salvation. Verse 7, we saw that. She finally saw God's plans and purposes, and it all came together. Finally, Elisha revealed to her God's plan for meeting her needs. God's provision was beyond what she asked for. Perhaps in the beginning, all she asked for was just enough to pay the creditors and keep my kids. That's all I want. Not much. I'm not asking for much, perhaps. But God said, I got something even better for you. That would have been good enough, but God gave her enough to live on also. This is an affirmation of the truth in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. They received God's salvation. They re- their family was safe. Their family was saved. They didn't have to go into slavery. In time, in time, when we go to God, when we trust and obey God, we will see his salvation. And that's true for any mother who's in this room, but it's also true for any, any family in this room. It's true for any individual in this room. This is the same principle here. In time, we will see God's plans and provisions. Perhaps this morning, perhaps, this there could be a good chance that there's someone out here who has not yet received Christ as their personal Savior. I beg you to do that, to do that now. This same God who sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins stands ready and able to save you again from your situation, from your desperate situation as you trust and obey Him. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, These are comforting words. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through him, his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You see, it is so important today that you get connected to God. You may have a huge problem waiting for you just outside the doors of the sanctuary. I don't doubt that at all for one bit. But you have a bigger problem, and that is your relationship with God. Because sin separates us from God. And God says, I can give you forgiveness of sins. I can give you eternal life. I can give you a relationship with me if you will put your faith and trust in me. That Jesus Christ 
died on the cross and was buried and rose again from the grave. Now, if you have already accepted Christ as your personal Savior, trust God with what is troubling you. Trust God for what is troubling you. In Hebrews chapter 4, the verse 16, a very familiar verse. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The door is wide open for us to come to the Lord with all of our aches and pains, with all of our anxieties and all of our anguish and all of the the things that beset us as human beings. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Go to the Lord. As I was beginning to think about this part, I got thinking of all kinds of scenarios that were going through my mind. And I guess this is a summary statement of what transpired from what was going through my mind. Listen very carefully to this, will you please? Please listen very carefully. The help that God gives may not be the kind of help you want or the kind you think you should have, but it is always the help that you need. And that's an important observation because God sometimes doesn't give us the kind of help we think we need. We don't get the kind of help that we think we should deserve or should get. But whatever help God gives us for this present moment is always the one that we need. Let me give you an example. And one time back in the United States, I had a person come to me and their marriage was just going to smithereens. And the, the, the person that came to me was just at their wits end. What do I do? What do I do? The, the next stop is the courts. You know, this is, this is, it's all over. It's all finished and stuff like that. And so I said, please tell me a little bit more about the, re- the relationship. And it soon became apparent that they, they weren't living, although they professed to be Christians and from all intents and purposes, they attended the church faithfully and they gave and all this kind of stuff. It all looked like they were believers. But it became very obvious they were not living the biblical principles for husband and wife. And so gently, in my own Arnold Wong way of doing it, you know, using God's word as the authority, not me, but God's word. I just said, please listen to the Lord. It says, husband, respect your you know, wives, respect your husbands, husbands, love your wives. And it's obvious to me, kind of, you know, got that all mixed up and you, you stopped doing those things. Well, this person got really angry, got really angry. And they said, you know, I thought I would come here and get somebody who would understand my problem and, you know, would comfort me and all this stuff. And all you did was give me God's word. I'm sorry, but that's all I have. And it seems to me, this is what you need. This is the help you need at this time. You see? So let me go back and repeat that. The help that God gives may not be the kind of help you want or the kind you think you should have, but it is always the help that you need when God is in it. You see? So it behooves us when God does come and help us through many different ways, that we sit up and take notice. We sit up and take notice. And then we can receive his full provision. God is ready to help you, dear mother. 
as you trust and follow him. Sometimes the strength of messages is on content and, you know, fancy sayings and illustrations and things. But somehow God kept nailing me and kept hammering into me. The strength of the message today should be my word. Passages that people can take home with them. Please remember the passages. Psalms 145, 17 through 19. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and will save them. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Please, dear mother, don't give up. Look up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that applies your word to our heart. Perhaps there is a dear mother out here right now who carries a heavy burden for one of their children or maybe even more. Oh Lord, I pray that you will give them the wisdom they need and the courage and the strength to carry it through. Father, may they be people of faith and may their faith be strengthened today from the word. We thank you again for each and every one of them. Now with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, please, nobody looking around. If you are in a desperate situation and you want me to just remember you in prayer, I won't mention your name, I won't point you out, I'm not going to make you come down the aisle or anything like that. I just want to see your hands that I may remember you in prayer. Anybody now, any mother or anyone else who's in desperate times and needs God's deliverance, would you please just raise your hand and put it down? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, thank you again for seeing these hands. And Lord... It's not a matter of whether there is one hand or 20 hands or 30 hands or 40 hands or 100 hands because each individual is precious to you. Precious enough that you would send your son to die on the cross for them. So also will you come into their life and help them. Thank you, Lord. Deliver these ones. Father, help them to find the way. Help them, Father, to see your way. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As a song of response, let us sing together uh, a mother's song, which was uh, sung by uh, Belinda during the offertory. Uh, for the first verse, can I ask the mothers uh, to sing it, and then uh, everyone will sing it together. And then the last verse, can we ask the parents 
both mothers and fathers to sing. Uh, I think uh, we can take this opportunity to uh, sing it to the people around us as well uh, as a prayer uh, for their journey in life together. So let us rise and sing this together. 